Welcome to another episode of Talking Kotlin. Seb, I missed you. I'm so, I feel so flattered. I missed you too. Yeah, your your enthusiasm totally shows and no sarcasm there whatsoever. Yes, you really missed me. So how is it down in Germany? Down, is it down in Germany or is it up in Germany? I'm down in Spain, so you're up in Germany. You're, you're, how is it up in Germany there? Yeah, but you know, I'm also in Bavaria, which is the south of Germany, so I'd prefer down in Germany. I don't know. Um, Yeah, it's pretty sunny today. Real Germany, right? Time. Well, real Bavaria, that's for sure. No, there's only there's 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 Bavaria. No, there's Germany, and then there's then there's no, Bavaria. There's exactly. No, never mind. Oh, so how are you anyway? You're good. Oh yeah, it's it's all good. It's been a long day. Loads of recordings happening, but yeah, I think uh, looking forward to getting this episode started. You're a busy man. I mean, you know, with your YouTube success and everything. Yeah, on on the road to becoming an influencer, man. I know, thought leader. Thought leader, YouTube thought leader. The only thing missing is eating spaghetti. Yes, I know. Okay, stop rushing me. Jesus, give me some time. It's all about focus, man. Yes, it's all about our guests. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about our guests. Although it's a little bit about us, right? Exactly. Okay, never mind. Who are our guests, Seb? Uh, we have Ivan Sanchez and David Denton, who are the co-creators of HTTP 4K. Ivan, David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Hi, guys. Welcome. Smile and wave. <laughs> At least the people on YouTube will be able to see that. If, but if you're joining us on audio, Excellent. welcome. Hi to you as well. HTTP 4K. For those that don't know it, does one of you guys want to provide a short little intro? Uh, so HTTP 4K is a project that we started back in 2017 after start using Kotlin for over a bit, over a year. Uh, it started as a small hack day project to wrap around servlets and trying to get like a, a more uh, Kotlin idiomatic way to do HTTP. Uh, and it went from there, start growing. We start creating more modules using these uh, server as a function uh, style. Uh, and we've been maintaining adding new modules since then. Uh, it's becoming quite popular, at least on the circles we are in London. I was going to ask you, I, I thought Seb's going to ask, can any of you tell me what for, what the K stands for, 4K? <laughs> we had a very terrible name before that. I can't actually tell you what it was. It was uh, Reek West, was it was called. R-E-E-K West. Wow. It was a, yes. a very bad pun, but we, we eventually... Yeah. That was, it was my idea. And if you actually go back right early enough in the first couple of versions of Charles there, there's really probably some that. version in Maven Central still hanging yeah. around from there. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So you were replacing the 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 Q with a K. I have never seen that before in Kotlin. Never, never, never. You know, I'm just wondering if we had stuck to the original name of Kotlin, which was Jetlang, what libraries would be called today? HTTP for Jetlang. Right, HTTP for J. That would work. Most likely, Jet Most HTTP. Who knows? Jet HTTP. So what was the, the inspiration behind this? You said it was kind of a, a hack day project. Did you is Were you kind of filling your own need uh, there? Or did you have a particular reason where you were missing a library like HTTP4K? Uh, I'll tell this. So yeah, so I think, uh, so we grew, well, I at least kind of went through the J2E wars and then uh, that kind of turned into spring and et cetera, et cetera. And I suppose HTTP4K came out of 15 years of kind of dissatisfaction with other people doing it incorrectly. Um, and just finally we snapped, went, right, 
finally we do it ourselves. We have to do it. We have to do it ourselves. Um, it originally, so it kind of came from the service of function paper, which was the Twitter paper that came out in 2012. It, I, the original implementation was in Scala. Actually, it was based around Finagle. Uh, so a lot of the features that, um, that we've got are, were kind of ported straight from Scala. And actually, initially, it was kind of, uh, it's a bit of an experiment because obviously Scala's got like the, the kind of really kind of high kind of type system, blah, blah, blah. And we really leveraged kind of that. And then I, it was like a bit of a challenge to see if I could, if we could kind of port that and make it simpler as well, which is the other thing. Uh, that's the thing that people found complicated, uh, within Scala. And we are also in the mix of, Introducing Kotlin and still using a Java library for HTTP, which was utterly idle, which had options. It was not idiomatic. Uh, it, it, it created like weird patterns in the code base. So we wanted to start again from scratch from something that was purely Kotlin. And when you say server, no, function as a server or ser server as a function. Right? Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, function as a server. <laughs> you are functioning as a server, aren't you? Yes, you are. So, server as a function. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So the idea is uh, surprisingly simple: is that uh, you have a single interface or a, a function. In our case, is just you pass a request and you get a response, and that's it. That's the main concept. But the key becomes when that's a uniform. Uh, signature that can be used both to define clients and servers. So that unlocks a whole lot of uh, interesting possibilities in terms of testing, in terms of integrating things, and, and the way you compose functionality becomes way different from what people are used to. So HTTP 4K is not just for building server-side applications, but it also contains uh, the clients. Is that right? Yeah, so we have a, we have effectively a kind of shim, I suppose you call it, around uh, the, the original, well, the kind of inner part of it, which is actually about 12 lines of code or something. It's ridiculously small. Um, and, and yeah, literally, and the, the, the core module is still only one meg, and it's, a, you know, it's no dependencies. That was really what we wanted. We didn't want massive dependency trees, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, the idea is that it kind of, it's so, it's, I'd seen it, we'd seen it in kind of, in, like the finical model and it was really really powerful and we kind of thought oh well can we make it can we make it simple? can we can we use it again um so yeah that's kind of where it came from really. yeah and also the idea of this function is that it doesn't care about network for example so you can test hp uh client server whatever functionality you build on top of that you can just test with objects in memory and then how you're going to run are you using okay http are you using Apache as a client? Are you running on Jetty on the server or Undertow on the server? That's you can get to that later. It's just one line of code that you change when you decide how to deploy your application. Yeah. So I think in total we now support was it seventeen backends? So um, so there's like eight or nine certain kind of server engines: Undertow, Netty, K2, blah blah blah. There's a serverless plugin, and we've got six. Yeah, lots of six serverless uh, kind of serverless modules as well. So that's kind of. Yeah, you can. But the idea is you can deploy the same thing on any platform, regardless, and with with minimal costs. Wow! Do you provide people with any kind of guidance as to what to pick out of like seventeen implementations? Then uh, it's interesting. Well, I mean, as well, we have our own favorites. Let's put it that way. Uh, my my personal favorite is Undertow in terms of um, in terms of server module, and AWS is probably the best in terms of serverless stuff. So I have a question regarding that, though. 
you you've offered this abstraction essentially allowing people to deploy on anything, right? Do you find it and you say that you just change this uh, with one line of code? That that really that really did sound like Microsoft. Um, they, they always say that. There's like, and next year it's going to be zero lines of code. Uh, do you find it often that there is a need for this? Of swapping of swapping, yeah, like swapping. Uh, the server. Uh, probably not. Although we, we saw people changing when they get like they don't get the performance characteristics they want, they decide to play with another one, they do switch. Uh, uh, even on on the project we originally started, I think started as Jetty and then became Undertow. Is not something that uh, I think is not the main selling feature. I think the main selling feature is developing without having to think about how you're gonna run. I think is the main uh, selling point here, where like you don't have to worry about undertow specific uh, things. You worry about like request response to your body, how you build things, how you build your application instead. Um, yeah, we just something on top of that. I mean, we do. It is one line of code, but uh, you can, you know, it's just an interface that you can implement if you want. So if you've got particular things you want, for example, if you're doing Jetty. Uh, and SSL, the Jetty implementation of SSL is like the the one that we kind of point to as a. If you want to, if you want to do SSL yourself, then use Jetty and use this. The idea is that you can de define your own kind of server config, as we call it, if you need to. But by default, you don't need to. You said beforehand that with HTTP 4K, you wanted to kind of do it right. Is is this philosophy really like what it boils down to, or do you kind of in your mind see? Uh, see some other stuff as well that kind of you haven't mentioned yet, which makes uh, HTTP 4K being the right thing. Our, I think, Ivan and Mai's kind of journey through the through this kind of murky tech world is heavily influenced by the London Test of Development crowd. So, kind of X Thoughtworks type, you know, we we're heavily test orientated, and we've always been like. Kind of anti-dependency injection framework kind of thing. We it's always been lightweight, lightweight, lightweight. As far as simple to test, simple to build, as simple as you can possibly make it, basically. And that is that's kind of the mantra. And so the the service function model kind of really just something just stuck, and we kind of kept looking at it, and new little things kept coming out. And it's like, oh, we can compose all the things together in this way, and we kept adding more stuff. And surprisingly, the model kept holding up. And it was like, wow, this is this is really powerful. And so it is that kind of really test driven. I think I think it's not unfair to say that it's we're probably I think the most test heavily driven server project out there. I think. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see if, it, if we're not, because that's how that's how we develop. That's that, you know everything is about the testing. Everything. And out of curiosity, what testing framework do you use yourselves? It's strange. It's the same thing as like we saying that we don't do a dependency injection framework as part of the thing. Like we just we stick to the basics uh, and build on top of that. Uh, we have cases with H3A4K being used for creating dozens of microservices, and you can still test all together using this server as a function model uh, and and just using pure JUnit. Uh, never needed much more than that. Yeah, I think there's this is I mean, so on top of that, I mean, so, so the, one of the other things I think, you know, kind of slightly back to my point about the, the test thing is the we have lots of modules for various different types of testing. So approval testing, or we've got like Hammercrest matches built in, we've got 
Subversion, which is uh, kind of service virtualization technology, it's kind of like a bit like packed with defining contract doing services, that and the web driver plugins and that kind of stuff. So you know, a lot of there's quite a lot of modules dedicated just to just testing, uh, and so those different styles of testing, you know, kind of at different levels of the pyramid, and the idea of being able to reuse your test contracts because because an HTTP test is literally no setup. There's no fake mock server or all the other stuff switching out and because of this uniform model you can switch out you can write in it a test for your server and then switch out your application for an http client and you've got a test that will run against a remote server without with one line of code change and it's that kind of uniform thing you just it's really really powerful to kind of to, to for reuse basically I mean, honestly, it sounds like a great pitch. Uh, have have people? Yeah, it 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 really is. Um, have have people? Have you seen a lot of adoption of HTTP 4K outside of your your own organizations and your own projects? Yes, uh, I have a good example of being brought into an organization that's using, and I think uh, they've been using way before I arrived. Uh, and I haven't even brought them because of HTTP 4K. Uh, every so often, people are reaching out and say, like, oh, I'm trying this with HTTP4K. What do you guys think? Um, it's definitely beyond people we know because now we're stumbling across people that come to us. Oh, by the way, that bank or that other publisher is using. So I think it's, it's definitely gone beyond our network, uh, but it's hard to tell how wide it is. Uh, we're definitely not huge in Stack Overflow, for example, which I Personally, I consider it a great thing. Uh, I think, like, I consider that like, a great sign of what we created. That if it can be that people are just not having too much trouble with it. Yeah, not enough code to copy paste. Yeah, but if if your if your code is only a few lines, right? Yeah, I, I like that. I I really like that um, way of thinking. We're not on Stack Overflow, which means we're just really awesome and easy to use. I may be fooling myself, but that that's like. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good way of thinking about it. Um, yeah. So I have a question regarding the, the, how people work with this, uh, library, right? Um, because you're very function based, I assume. Yeah. And do people struggle in terms of how they should organize their code, especially in, in, in coming from a, you know, majority of people that maybe work with Kotlin come from Java. And they're very heavily oriented towards classes and dependency injection, et cetera. Do they struggle with that? I think people are, I think one of the, uh, one of the remarkable things about our, our industry is that we have, we've, and I'm not sure how this has happened. I'm not sure if it's a kind of a self-inflicted thing or, or it's been via organizations. We've managed to convince people Doing things simply is somehow not the way that you should be doing it. That you need to be doing things that are so you know complicated or reflection or some magic going on at compile time or it's amazing. And people, I think people do find it refreshing. And I think definitely there's an entire way. But you know, I mean, Kato is the same thing. It's you know very much just doing things. We're doing you know you can construct applications without reflection runtime magic stuff, right? It's it's a thing. It's a way you've been doing it. And I think that that and you see Spark as well, same thing. Even like Spring Foo, whatever, getting on the or is it Atomic Foo, Spring Foo, getting on the same bandwagon of hey, you don't need XML or annotations or all this magic. You can actually just write simple code. With regards to the function thing, it's actually interesting because I found myself and I've got a half written blog post about this. 
are kind of shying away from actually creating classes a lot of the time now. A lot of the stuff is top level functions that I create when I create apps. So I always start with only kind of create a class as a, a last resort uh, because a lots of classes are just they're not just partially applied functions over something else, right? So say you've got like an HTTP client or a database connection, then you know. Th- the methods on say you've got your standard books kind of business abstraction which is like some kind of repository or something underneath it there's a like database connection or something and the the methods on those things don't tend to interact they're kind of very kind of they're, they're very standalone so all that all that class in that the class doesn't have any state as as in the kind of uh, traditional oo sense right it doesn't have a thing that you know you're not setting a thing and them getting out again. There is no state. So, what is the point of the class? Not very much, because it's literally just being a. It's just it's just in order to kind of talk to that database. So, it's like how how is this? It is about wh- whether things can be thought of just partially applied functions over a bunch of a bunch of fields. So, it's, it's interesting the way. And I think Kotlin has really done a really amazing job of that, of kind of changing the way that we put things together, and actually just caused us to sit there and think about. Why are we doing things? Which is great. It's amazing. It's like you know, it's all credit to the JetBrains because it's been an amazing ride. But one thing we we do see in practice with teams using HTTP 4K like at, at larger scale, especially as people try to write many services with it, is exactly that the teams will have to define their own patterns of how to construct the application. Uh, a lot of teams are not used to not doing dependency injection, so. Um, if you if you're not used to that, it may be a challenge of like, where do I construct my database? Where do I actually initialize my repositories? Where do I actually plug everything together? Uh, how do I put all the um, observability bits, all the filters that we need to do? Um, and we do have a few patterns that we're trying to introduce to people, but it's definitely n- not coming out of the box uh, from HTTP4K. It's up for the teams to figure out what the application skeleton looks like. Okay, so that sounds like you're taking quite a um, an unopinionated approach to how people really structure um, their applications. More like uh, give them the Lego blocks and they'll figure out how to build their house out of it. What kind of what kind of features are included uh, with with HTTP 4K? What what can I compose together uh, out of the box? I'm actually going to pull the modules because there's a lot of stuff that I don't even know nowadays. Uh, so apart from basic client and server, we do so. One thing we didn't say about the this uniform interface for HTTP is that we also have um, a filter, which is a way to introduce middleware. So with that filter, we can provide, for example, a module that does the AWS authentication for you. So if you want to have like an HTTP client to talk to any AWS API, you just add that filter, put your credentials, and there you go. You can you can start interacting with AWS, and that's like it's one module. It's probably like few hundred lines on co- of code. Uh, and most of the modules end up being like that. So we have stuff to um, different uh, JSON library formats, uh, XML, YAML, all that kind of thing, uh, JSON RPC. Um, then we have a lot of observability and operability-related things like open telemetry, resilience for J, configuration with cloud-native uh, type-safe um, constructs, um, and the serverless bits, which I think is what Dave's been mostly busy nowadays, uh, trying to get that uh, all fully fleshed out. But um, so th- the idea is like the composable bit means that new modules 
I, I mentioned that I have to look at them because what happens very often is that people say, oh, but I'd like to use that different Jackson, uh, JSON library. I say, like, fine, like, this is the only interface you have to care about. Create a new module, and, and there you go. It's not going to affect anyone else if they don't want to use, uh, and someone can pick and choose whichever feels best for their project. So I'm curious why you called it filter. Uh, the filter, actually, that came from the original um, paper, so the service function paper. It was called service and the filter. Um, so we just we did we did think about calling it pipe, um, but I don't know. We, we we kind of went around, but by the time we kind of decided, it was a bit too late. By the time we'd kind of like had the discussion, it was like, oh, we're stuck right now. Funnily enough, we didn't pick the service; <laughs> we just picked the filter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I asked because, uh, you know, I, I created a framework uh, a few years ago, which was called Wasabi. Uh, and uh, I I called them interceptors. Um, uh, ASP.NET MVC calls them filters. The JavaScript world calls it middleware. Uh, Ktor was decided to call it features, which we're now renaming because <laughs> it's very difficult to say, what features do you support? Do you mean features or features? Uh, so... We're renaming that, um, and it's it's surprising that you said filters because that that's kind of from ASP.NET and MVC. Also, they they used to call it filters. That's that's why I asked. Well, interestingly, if you actually so if you actually look at like the servlet filter, uh, it's the same as the servlet filter uh, signature, which is uh, it kind of takes the servlet fil the servlet filter's fil feature. Oh, sorry, yeah, signature is. Um, the it takes like the the request and the next thing in the chain and then returns another thing so actually if you that if you partially apply that function to the handler you get uh, another HTTP handler basically or you get another kind of request response object so actually because that's originally what i came out with and i eventually it went oh my god it actually just turns into like one function returning another function um it's it's quite amazing that it did that so just to follow up with what you said, you said if you partially apply that function, I'm assuming that you then do this in your code, right? Applying par uh, functions partially. And if so, is this something that you ship with HTTP 4K or do people have to kind of use some other library? No, because uh, no. Because doesn't support it. Out of no, no, no. So when, no, I, I suppose I misspoke a little bit. So the, the servlet filter... Um, Signature takes two parameters and returns one parameter and turns a result. If you partially applied that signature, you would get a function that returns another function. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's all. If you actually did that, that's what you would get. The, the filter is a, is a function that takes an HTTP handler and returns an HTTP handler. And an HTTP handler is just a function that takes a request and returns a response. So if you kind of expand it out, it is just a, a partially, it is just a partially applied okay. thing. Anyway. Right. It's easier than what I'm written down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a whiteboard. Well, we, you know, given that we're on YouTube, we could kind of do those things, right, Seth? If we had the infrastructure in place beforehand, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure some folks backstage are getting a panic attack now, worrying that one of us is going to pull up like a digital whiteboard now. I got a blackboard. Yeah. Let's do this. I got a blackboard with a black pen. So I, I feel like there's, there's a two typical kinds of, of approaches right now that we're seeing when it comes to like building web applications. There's these behemoths of all batteries included uh, frameworks 
that provide integrations for absolutely everything out of the box. Uh, and then there's these frameworks which are like, hey, like bring your own stuff, uh, build your build your own like favorite combinations, abstractions, and so on. Do you ever feel that uh, you need to particularly convince people that that a slimmer approach or a leaner approach uh, can provide them with with benefits? I, I don't. I'm trying to think of like when we. Where do we we had to convince people to use HP4K? And I think it's it's a bit hard to tell because I think it is a different mindset. Um, I, again, most of the places that we've been uh, introducing it, they are heavily microservice, so they do want to keep things very light and small. Uh, you're gonna probably build a, a service that will have a couple of endpoints, talk to a database, or get stuff from a queue, or publish stuff from a queue. Uh, and in these cases, it's, it's relatively easy to say get one microservice, start with just the bare bones and see if you need more. Um, but we do find that some other people do prefer to like, I'll try, start with Spring Boot just in case I need anything else that I may need. Um, it, it is, it's a style thing, I'd say. Uh, so I was just going to say, it's interesting actually this, the leaves that what I've, because as Ivan said, I've been looking with the serverless stuff for a lot of my current projects currently service as well. And in serverless, we've got, we've got this push towards teeny tiny things that are really small and, you know, the binary size is better. And so bringing in, you know, hundreds of megs of, of dependencies is, you know, it's a non-starter if you want your cold start time to be decent. And the, the thing we've been working recently is writing a custom la like runtime for Lambda, which is basically doesn't use the Jackson marshalling, so that takes out a lot of the complexity or the slowness, as it were, and doing kind of Graal native compilation. Um, and we're seeing, and because we're very simple, because we've taken the decision to make it simple with no reflection, with no annotations, the amount of configuration you do with Graal is nothing because there's just nothing. So, and then if you can compile to Graal, the problem with compiling to Graal is like all the configurations are complete like, right? Um, if you once you get down to like a binary that's you now the simple simple graal binary runtime is like about 10, 10 meg, um, and it will start in it will run in sixty milliseconds or the second while it's cold, and then it will run uh, sorry it will run in a couple hundred I think between hundred and two hundred when it's cold, and then once you're warm, it's you're talking single digit millisecond response times. Just just to get quickly back to this kind of leaner approach, do people ever come to you uh, in the hopes for guidance as to what they should use uh, for features that aren't supported by HTTP4K? I don't know, from, from connection pools to the way that they should abstract their database to whatever, like, do people ask for idiomatic approaches to these things? People have asked about, like, where is the database uh, the ORM mapping framework uh, and our answer is normally very simple like we just don't have that like we're just focused on how do you build services around http and how can you make the best out of it by composing simple functions that that's our business uh much more than that like again battery is not included so you you don't get I, i'm assuming you get the typical uh well i could just add an annotation in this other framework and, and exactly. get a cut yeah http endpoint why can't i do this and, and we do that and we, and we say like if, if that's what you want to do then you're probably choosing the wrong tool <laughs> add your annotation my friend yeah 
And uh, do you, I mean, I guess this also depends on the underlying uh, engine that is being used, but HTTP2 support? Yeah, I mean, it's the engine, right? Do you provide it? It's the engine, but I mean, do you surface any of that to, to your library or not? Because there are some levels of, of like push that, for example, you could use in HTTP2. Hasn't, hasn't HTTP Server 2 push been basically deprecated? Well, the HTTP 2 has basically been deprecated. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's like that we, we do come up with, there are lots of different technologies and all this kind of stuff, but the vast majority, and we're not talking about, we're not, we're not talking about serving every single people or every, every single project in the world. We're talking about serving the 99% of people who are still doing CRUD or whatever kind of JSON, you know, this JSON APIs that they're still doing. Because that's the way people do it, and that's you know, it's, it's there's going to have to be a massive mind shift change in order to actually get people to to implement these technologies. Uh, and actually, uh, so it's interesting. It's, um, you say HTTP, uh, JSON HTTP APIs, uh, combining that with pretty URLs, right? And then you get your REST. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's not to say you can't do more, but it's just a case of we, we you know if you still look at every single project you go into, it's like virtually all of them are kind of identical, you know, and what people are trying to do um, still. And maybe that's because you know we've got you know the vast majority of developers in this or in this technology in this sector are less than five years out of the gate, so that's, they 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 start off doing the simple thing, and maybe that works, and it works for the vast majority of chances. So do you have any support for um, protocols that go kind of on, on, on top of that, like WebSockets, for example, WebRTC, something like this? Uh, so WebSocket is one that is a good example of like, we, we try to push this idea of, of the server as a function to can we have provide the same kind of uniform uh, interface for WebSocket and server-side events? Uh, and we managed to get that. And so people can take the same benefits of if you want to test WebSocket, without having to run the server without network and things like that, you can do as well. Uh, we know a few people using, I haven't used in any of the projects, but I know that some people are uh, quite happy to use HTTP4K for WebSocket as well. But I assume that your pipeline looks at least a little bit different, right? It's not that I stick literally the same request response handler into my WebSocket and that does the same thing. No, it's a, it's a different, it's a different, the shape of it is different, but um, same with server-side events. Similar thing. Uh, it's kind of a callback-faced thing, but the 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 idea of a handler and a router and a filter are still there. So you can still compose the functions together in order to actually make a pipeline of stuff. So when you get a WebSocket request, you say, "Okay, stick a filter around it," and then when you get it, kind of does a log when it you know log entry or you know all all the kind of ancillary things that you would probably use security, but all that kind of stuff is all still available because the model still works. You said that you wanted to have a framework that is, well, Kotlin first, or that really embraces Kotlin. On the one hand, of course, in my mind, always the, a little light bulb goes on. It's like, well, how, how are they using coroutines? How are they using DSLs? Like, you know, the, the typical buzzwords we have. Can you maybe uh, say a little bit towards that as well? I, I can tell about DSLs, and I'm going to let the coroutine answer <laughs> to Dave. <laughs> Wonderful. But DSL, like, we don't try to go crazy on DSL basically because we, it's keeping it simple with these constructs. On the other hand, we, we see 
quite a bit of teams using the DSL as exactly that way of building applications. Bu- pe- people build the language of constructing bits and bobs of application with HTTP4K using a more DSL-like approach. Uh, coroutines is something that like we've been uh, talking about from the beginning, but I'll let Dave give his uh, speech. <laughs> it's my job, apparently, on this project to answer that question. I, 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 had, I was considering it a special T-shirt when you answered that question. Because we always get asked it. Um, and the, I see the first answer is the first question actually I'll, I'll spin around it is like, w- uh, when are coroutines going to be finished? Because the, the, because the type system doesn't support them as of 1.5 because you can't extend a suspend function. And I believe it's coming in 1.520, but it's interesting that that, you know, so that is one thing, I suppose, that, you know, the model, we would have to change the model. And actually, it's a good job. We, we kind of, we, we did look at doing it and it was, we would have to change. Because our, our HTTP handler interface is effectively a type alias. And then we have things that extend HTTP handler. And obviously, if you can't extend, a, um, if you can't extend a suspend function, it breaks the model. So we'd have to have changed the model to a, like a fun interface, basically, which wasn't, we did talk about it and we actually went through and put it in. But I mean, I suppose the originally why we didn't have it was that Coroutines didn't exist. First, first off, but, um, and the second thing, then they had, uh, as independent consultants, uh, putting it in, to product client production systems, things with experimental kind of things is probably, especially originally, of course, the coroutine stuff was in experimental packages as well. So, so in, it's a, a nice route. Such to, a bad idea, I tell you. I keep saying. <laughs> so, so we route. kept kicking that can. Yeah, we kept kicking the can, <laughs> and then we bottled it out, and it was like, okay. And then all the all of a sudden, Loom loomed into view, and we were like, okay, that's interesting. So, I wonder, we wonder where Loom's going to take us as well. Um, and of course, um, serverless as well, which is where the focus has been recently. It's like there are no, the serverless use cases for that. Is, you are literally doing one thing at a time in a serverless function. That, that is the very reason to do it. So by all means, yeah, I mean, you use, using kind of currencies under the hood, all amazing, right? You know, to structure current currency, brilliant. Absolutely great. It's like, but there's nothing to stop using it at all. It's just the question of where you should use it and if, if it's going to kind of, you the best bang for buck and actually we, now that we know that it's actually coming in 1520 then we can actually we can actually take a look at actually doing more without changing our entire model which was we were like three or four years down the line by this one yeah i think the last time we tried in anger was probably like two or three years ago and and just the fact that it would affect testability quite a lot for people like you you basically instead of just invoking a function you do have to worry about coroutines just to test the basics was also another thing that kind of put us off uh, making that big change at the time. Cool. Well, we're running out of time. Uh, so wrapping up, where can people find out more about your library? Dave? No, everyone gone. As you can imagine, it's a website, people. <laughs> hp4k.org. Uh, and we, we have a, a hp4k uh, channel on the Kotlin Slack. Uh, which is our main place to talk to people who are using, uh, help out people. Um, so people feel free to reach out there. Nice. And uh, it, it, this is completely, uh, I was going to say, is it completely open source? No, let me rephrase. Is this completely free? <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, no yes. one cares <laughs> about the open source. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, if you want to pay for it, I mean, that's fine as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. It is free and, and our support up to a point is also free. <laughs> <laughs>
is there uh, any part of HTTP4K where you would like to see the community contribute maybe or try something out that you currently have in the works where you're looking for feedback? As soon as we finish the kind of Graal runtime stuff, I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, that's kind of point. But other than that, I think it would be lovely to have these people just tell us they're using it as well. Tell us that they're using it, things they like, things they don't like. Great. I mean, we've, we've just done an overhaul on the documentation on the website because things are a bit hard to find. So we've kind of looked at the grand theory of univ the grand unified theory of documentation. We've like rejigged the, rejigged the site around that. So just tell us how we would like to use it. And then, you know, and, you know, things that you find difficult, things that you want. I was going to say, Dave, uh, that I, I wanted to, I've got a theory about the whole complexity thing that we like complexity. Yeah, I don't think it's that we like complexity. I think that we're very smart, actually, that we've created a self-sustaining industry. Yes. Right. Uh, that, that's what it's about. It's not about, <laughs> it's about job creation. We like job security. Yeah. It's about <laughs> job security, job creation. And, uh, the next best thing. And is, is that the job creation to um, to fix up the things that people have been overly clever? Or is that the, you know, you must have, a, you must be really clever in order to do it in the first place, or you must be really clever in order to be able to fix the thing that's just been done because it's really complicated. Well, even there's a role for people like that, right? Because there's always people that create complex stuff and then you come in and simplify it. And then someone else comes and says, oh, this is too simple. We need to throw this out and create something more complex. Just described our jobs. So it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Well, it's great chatting with you folks. Um, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Cool. Thank, thank you right. very yeah. much. Yeah. Thanks, for yeah, thanks for coming on. It was really nice talking to you. And uh, Seb, uh, I guess it's time for us to do our little, what do you call it? Song Jingle? and dance? Mingle? Intro? I don't know. Outro? Just outro. Do you have your bell? You lead us out. I don't have my bell. My bell broke. That's a bummer. Well, regardless, uh, press the subscribe button next to this video. Um, hit the bell and make sure to tune in the next time, everyone. Yeah. And if you're on the podcast, you can't do any of that. So sorry. Yeah, you're probably already subscribed in your favorite podcatcher anyway. So, you know, it'll all work exactly. out in the end. Exactly. All right, then uh, see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.